the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. It's Ask the Lawyer with Mike Connors. Got questions concerning elder or state law? Attorney Mike Connors has the answer. He was recognized in 2012 as one of New York's top lawyers by New York Magazine and brings over 30 years' experience to the table. His office number is 718-238-6500. That's 718-238-6500. Here's Mike Connors. We are gathered here on hallowed ground. Horses Welcome to Ask the Lawyer with me, Mike Connors. If you haven't heard the show before, you're first time listening, hey, listen, welcome. You're always uh, invited to join us. Now, this show, if you haven't heard it again, the first part of the show we talk about estate planning and elder law, and the idea behind estate planning is to pass assets from one generation to the next, paying the least amount in taxes we need to pay legally, avoiding going to court, avoiding probate, and as far as elder law is concerned, trying to save assets from nursing home bills. Now, each week we take a number of uh, state planning elder law questions, and helping with the questions today, as usual, is my wife, Beth. Yeah, hi, everybody. And my son, Michael. Hello, everyone. Now, if you have a question you want to email us, or if you Actually, if you ever want to write us, you can write us directly at Connors and Sullivan at 7408 Fifth Avenue, Brooklyn, New York, 11209. And that's Connors and Sullivan, 7408 Fifth Avenue, Brooklyn, New York, 11209. And Michael, if you want to email us a question, what do they do? If you want to email us a question, you're going to want to send that to askmikeconnors at gmail.com. That is askmikeconnors at gmail.com. Connors, of course, spelled C-O-N-N-O-R-S, askmikeconnors at gmail.com. Okay, and the second part of the show, we talk about nostalgia, politics. We're talking a lot about politics in the last few weeks. It's an election year, and, you know, we got to be prepared. Yeah. But in any event, getting back to the questions, uh, Beth, what's the first question you have on tap? Well, I have an interesting one, and this is from Sven. Dear Mr. Connors, I live in Sweden, but listen to your show on your podcast. I don't believe that. Well, he says, my aunt is very ill and lives in Bay Ridge. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. She has a will, and I am the executor, but I live in Sweden. I will need some help with her estate when she passes on. Would you or your staff be retained to handle this for me and my family? Do I need to travel to New York in person? Well, yes, we can handle it. We have done it. Um, Ordinarily, the executor under will should be a U.S. citizen, but we can help with that. There's still something that can be done. Hopefully, there's nobody there that's going to contest your aunt's will. So if... There is somebody we may want to talk about avoiding probate and, you know, avoiding going through the, the, the probate procedure. And, you know, right now probate is taking an extremely long time because the court system's not fully open. And it was closed for a long time. Yeah, and it's really not fully open yet right now. So you want to avoid probate. You want to avoid going through court. And like even in the best of circumstances, you want to avoid probate. But. Swen, you do not have to come to New York. We can send you documents that you can sign, hopefully in front of the American consulate. Hopefully you don't live too far from the American consulate. And you can get your signature witness there, and we can use your signature uh, to proceed ahead. So, yes, you're, you're certainly welcome to contact us. Your aunt is certainly welcome to contact us to make sure that uh, everything's, you know, set up right, that you have the least amount of work to do, you know, when the time comes. Uh it, and, you know, obviously we've done this with Bay Ridge has more Norwegian people, so we've done it with people in Norway more than we have in Sweden. But, you know, I don't think the only countries we've ever had trouble about years ago, we used to have a lot of trouble dealing with Cuba. I don't really don't know what it is right now. We haven't had too much dealings with Cuba. And, of course, trying to get money to Iran 
is not easy. To try to get the check to the beneficiaries in Iran is not easy. But even that we've worked on. So just about any country in the world we've, you know, we've helped with. And, and our staff can speak virtually every language in, you know, in the world. And we can contact somebody speaking the same language. So there's, an, there's another question that comes up fairly often, different variations. But, Michael, what question is that? Well, this one is from Nick in Astoria. Nick wants to know, my father is going into a nursing home. He has $100,000 in his bank account and 10 grandchildren. I heard he can give 10000 to each grandchild, and that gift is allowed under law. Well, this is one of the problems that sometimes people have. They confuse the tax laws with the Medicaid laws. And really, it's two separate rule books. Now, it used to be, for the IRS, if you gave a gift of $10,000 or less, you didn't have to report the gift, and certainly it was allowed under the law. And, you know, people got used to that. Now, right now, the number is $15,000. If you give one person to one person makes a gift of $15,000 or less, you do not have to file a gift tax return. You don't have to do anything. The person receives the gift. It's not taxable. The person who makes the gift, it's not taxable. So you can do that. And I'm going to talk about a little bit more about gift taxes after we answer uh, next question. But here, this will not work for nursing homes or for Medicaid. It's a, a, a totally separate rule book. It's like if you take the rules for football and somehow try to apply them to baseball. It just doesn't work. Medicaid... Basically, if you're a New York City resident, for each $12,000 you give away, you incur a one-month penalty before you can apply for, you know, nursing home Medicaid. So that would not, in this case, if somebody gave away $100,000 to 10 different people, yes, as far as the IRS is concerned, it's a completely free gift. On the other hand, if you do it for Medicaid purposes, it's going to impose a penalty of roughly, you know, twelve thousand and change divided into a hundred thousand, we'd have roughly an eight month penalty. So in other words, the person who did that cannot apply for Medicaid for eight months. Now, this could be almost tragic in some cases. Let's say it's a married couple and grandfather gives the hundred thousand dollars to the ten grandchildren. Medicaid's gonna incur a penalty of roughly eight months. Grandmother then can apply for Medicaid on behalf of her husband because he just made a gift, which incurred a 10-month, uh, I'm sorry, an eight-month penalty. So she couldn't apply for Medicaid for eight months. The average cost of a nursing home right now is uh, about $15,000 a month in the city, and, and that average is creeping up. You know, there are a lot of nursing homes right now that are charging more than $15,000 per month. So, you know, that's, you know, $120,000. So that one gift costs grandma $120,000. And of course, if she doesn't have the 120000 or even if she does have the 120000 that can be almost tragic. So you got, and you're in one of those crisis situations, you got to get the right advice. What works for the IRS may not work for Medicaid. Yes, Beth? Um, does this apply to home care these days? Well, the problem is right now, the law's in flux. And we really don't know what's going to happen. In all likelihood, we, we do know that if you gave away, you know, we did talk on one of the prior shows that the home care Medicaid lawyers are changing October 1st. Well, they are, they have changed October 1st, but the impl impl implementation of those plans is put, put up to January 1st. So if you know somebody that needs home care Medicaid, we want to do the planning right away. If we put somebody's assets, assuming they're over 65 and disabled or disabled, we put their assets in a trust before, you know, December 31st and apply at that time, we can save the assets right away and there's no penalty period for home care Medicaid. After January 1st, there is going to be a penalty. We're not quite sure how it's going to, you know, work out when, when things are all done. No matter what, I would... If, you, if you're thinking about home care Medicaid, you have a, a parent and you're thinking, well, do I apply? Do I not apply? Right now, apply. And even if we get hit with some kind of penalty, it's better to start the penalty running than, you know, not have the penalty at all. And I want to get back to part of Nick's question. You know, I'm, we're getting a fair amount of questions right now about should I make gifts now? And 
you know, I think I would hold off Lao to at least after the election. A lot of people are afraid, and, and rightly so, Joe Biden gets elected president, the gift and estate tax laws are going to change dramatically. Now, right now, technically, there's really no gift tax under almost $12 million. And that's $12 million for a husband, $12 million for a wife. So gift taxes really became almost a thing of the past. Now, some of you are saying, well, wait a minute, wait a minute. I heard you have to file if you give away more than $15,000. That's absolutely true. The, the government wants to keep track of money. But right now, today, there is no federal gift tax under $12 million per person. $12 million for husband, $12 million for wife. There's no gift tax between husband and wife, any amount, assuming they're both U.S. citizens. So gift taxes were, or now, a thing of the past. There's a lot of talk. Joe Biden is going to change that. The Democrats are going to change that, which is, by the way, you know, it, it's not only voting for the president that's important this, you know, next couple of weeks. It's who you're voting for for Congress, you know, because the Congress has to go along with uh, these schemes, whoever the president is. And it's very important to vote down the line. I know I'm you know, I'm very happy that this station is endorsed, among other people, Nicole Maliotakis, who I live in her district right now in the assembly hopefully she'll be our congresswoman next year but um it, it's important to vote down the line and there might be a gift tax next year and we don't know what's going to happen and i know some people are very nervous and i get some calls on this right now the only thing i would say is we can wait till election day we're still going to have you know almost two months to you know, make our plans after that, because the election day, remember, the election day is November 3rd. The Congress doesn't get sworn in until January 1st. The new president doesn't get sworn in until January 21st. So there's not going to be any major changes in that time period. So hold off on making gifts, but then I might change my opinion, my mind, you know, depending on what happens on election day. And let's hope for the best, but nonetheless, uh, bad things sometimes happen in elections. So you know, let's make sure we get out and vote. Let's hope that we still can make gifts to our children and that we can leave our children most of our assets tax-free. And, you know, one other thing about the gift tax, New York State does not impose a gift tax in and of itself. But if you die within three years of making the gift, in other words, you make a gift today and you die before uh, 2023, the end of 2023, New York State will bring that tax in to pay for your estate. Uh, that'll be part of your estate to pay a tax on. So, you know, I don't know what's going to happen. I don't have a crystal ball, but we at Connors and Sullivan, we're going to be ready to give the right advice after the election, and you're more than welcome to give us a call then at 718-238-6500, 718-238-6500. Now, we're going to take a short break. When we come back, we're going to be talking to Kevin McCullough. If you're a homeowner age 62 or older and are finding it hard to pay off debt, or how about enjoying your retirement years with less stress? A government-insured reverse mortgage may be the answer or might be the perfect solution for you and your family. Hi, this is Frank Melia, a certified mortgage planner. I've been a mortgage specialist for over 20 years, and I've helped countless homeowners all over the tri-state area tap into a little or a lot of their home equity so they can use it right now. This past October, the federal government made changes to the reverse mortgage loan program. Give me a call now so our office can show you how these changes affect how much money you receive and how the annual mortgage insurance costs have decreased. My job is to help you find the best solutions for your retirement goals. I do this by educating homeowners with straightforward information and answers. It's free to call and speak with me, Frank Melia, to determine if this FHA program might be able to help you and your loved ones now. Call and speak with me right now. I'll answer your questions and help you decide if a reverse mortgage is right for you and your family. Make the call now, 888-943-2646. Or try me on the internet at www.quanticbank.com backslash fmelia. Once again, call 888-943-2646 and you could be on your way to a stress-free retirement. Frank Melia, NMLS number 62591. All loans provided by Quantic Bank, NMLS number 403503. 
Hi, Kevin McCullough. Every week we promise you you're going to get an important question answered from Mike Connors of Connors & Sullivan, the supreme law firm in the New York Tri-State area when it comes to estate law and elder care. And it happens to be the law firm of choice for the McCullough family. We've we've had our wills done and all the preparations made uh, through their offices as well. And Mike's this question this week comes from Mark from Greenpoint. He says, Mike, my family doctor asked me if I had a medical power of attorney and if I could give him a copy for his file. What is a medical power of attorney? Mike, I got to think this is a pretty common question. What is it? Yeah, well, basically, it's a power of attorney for somebody to make medical decisions on your behalf if you can't speak for yourself. Now, in New York, we ordinarily call it a health care proxy. In other states, many states, it's called a medical power of attorney. But basically, it's the same thing. So a lot of people who live in Florida, they come up here in New York for the summer or whatever, they have a medical power of attorney. If you're a New York resident, we prefer a health care proxy because that's the forms that are more that the hospitals and doctors up here are a little more comfortable with. But in any event, it's the same thing. You appoint somebody to make medical decisions on your behalf if you can't speak for yourself. And that's a very important document to have because, you know, family fights, nobody's right, nobody's wrong. Should they operate on mom? Should they not operate on mom? Should they put mom on life support? Questions like that. Very difficult questions, but you want to choose the person to make those decisions if you can't speak for yourself. Yeah, the, the person you trust most in that situation, and that's why it's important to have that document prepared. Well, if you don't know how to do it, that's what Connors & Sullivan can help you uh, straighten out. So call them today, 718-238-6500, 718-238-6500. Get to know the entire uh, Connors & Sullivan team. They are just wonderful people. Uh, and then be listening as Mike Connors answers more of your questions on uh, this show, of course, each uh, Thursday, but also Saturday mornings at 8, Saturday evenings at 6, and uh, Sunday mornings at 11 on AM 570 and AM 970, respectively. Mike Connors, thanks so much. Thank you, Kevin. You can hear Kevin each Monday through Friday at 3 o'clock on 570 The Mission and Monday through Friday at 5 o'clock on 970 The Answer, the same stations we broadcast from. Of course, on Wednesdays, Kevin has an extended hour uh, with John Katzmatidis. You know, I was listening to Kevin the other day, and he had uh, Rudy Giuliani on. And they were talking about um, some of Hunter Biden's business deals or whatever. I didn't realize Hunter Biden was in partnership with Whitey Bulger's <laughs> nephew. So that, that's always good to know. That you don't says hear, a lot. You don't hear a lot. Well, you know, Whitey, Whitey Bulger's cousin uh, probably is the uh, nephew is probably the guy's related to the state senator. There you go. You know, so in Massachusetts, you know, <laughs> having a criminal record of being connected to criminal Organized crime doesn't stop you from well, getting we elected. Let's not besmirch everyone. No, no. Yeah. All right. Who knows? But in any event, while we were taping today, I just heard of another email question. I think it's a good question we should answer right away. Absolutely. This question comes from Chris. Uh, he wants to know, who pays the taxes on a home sold and distributed as part of an inheritance? The amount is around $300,000 to be divided between two sons. Thank you, Mr. Connors. Okay, well, if there is any tax, the two sons would pay the tax in any event. But there's probably not a real tax. And this is a question I get asked all the time. Let's say the house is 300000 I assume it's a vacation property or property upstate or something like that. But let's say the house is worth $300,000 on the date of death of the person from whom they inherited it. Well, then if they net $300,000, there's no tax to pay. There's no capital gains tax. There's no inheritance. There's no estate tax today in New Jersey. There's no estate tax in today in New York under $5,850,000. And by the way, you know, if you're very close, some people say, well, you know, I don't have to worry too much about estate taxes. I got about a $6 million estate. They don't tax the first $5,850,000. Well, you're wrong. And if anybody, if anybody wants to call the office and they get the schedule of taxes on a $6 million estate, it's very depressing. You know, in fact, in the next show, I think I'll give the uh, the numbers on a $6 million estate exactly. But it's very depressing what the taxes are. But in this case, 300000 assume the estate total was under $5,850,000. There should be no tax. Now, if the decedent, the person they inherited from, died 10 years ago, and the property went, let's say, in value from 200000 to 300000 in theory, we have a $100,000 capital gain. 
Now, from that, we would take the, the closing costs, what you paid the broker, things like that. That would be subtracting lawyer's fees, accountant fees to do the return on the sale of the property. Again, in ordinary circumstances, it would be divided between the, the two sons in this case. Now, you can do it in a couple of different ways. If there is a gain, you can file what's called a 1041 on the estate and pass the gain along to the two sons to pay on their income taxes, or you can pay it through the through the trust or through the estate, and they can file it. And then, you know that's part of what we do at Connors and Sullivan. Some people don't realize that we have a couple of accountants on staff, and we um, take a look at it and figure out which is the best way to report things for you, you know, tax wise. And I do not want people to pay more in taxes than they need to pay legally. Yes, we got to pay our taxes, but we certainly don't want to be in a position where we're paying more taxes than we legally have to pay. And that's whenever I interview a new employee, I ask their feeling about taxes, and we hire people who do not want our clients to pay taxes. That is a litmus test. So if you, you got one of these situations, you can come into Connors and Sullivan and give us a call at 718-238-6500. We do not want you to pay more taxes than you need to pay. That is an absolute. But hopefully, let's say if you inherited the property a year or two ago and you sold it for 300000 there's no tax. And here's something else that some people don't realize. Let's say for the sake of argument, you inherited a property, a person died a couple of months ago, and it was worth $300,000 on date of death, and you sell it for $300,000, and you paid a broker $15,000. That $15,000 that you pay a broker is a tax deduction, and you can take that as a capital loss, assuming you didn't live in the property. Assuming you didn't live in the property, you can take that $15,000 as a capital loss, so each brother would have a $7,500 capital loss, which means if they sold a stock that they bought for $10,000 and sold for $17,500, they would not pay tax. If they didn't sell a stock, they could get $3,000 a year off their regular income. So, and, and I, I don't want to knock anybody, but there's some people who just don't know these tax rules. Real estate lawyers sometimes don't know the tax laws. And, you know, that's, again, where we can help you on that at Connors and Sullivan. So I guess we're going to take a short break now. Michael, who's on the show this week? Well, this week we've got two guests. One is Dr. Gad Saad, who is a evolutionary psychologist who's going to be discussing his book, The Parasitic Mind. Um, that's about essentially how certain ideas kind of function the way a biological parasite would in society and spread throughout and can essentially cause the thought processes in the public framing of issues that affect all of us to decay over time. Um, our other guest is someone who I think our audience is probably already very familiar with. That's Judge Janine Pirro, who's going to be talking about her new book, Don't Lie to Me which is, of course, centered around... It's the third in her trilogy that talks about everything that's happened since Trump was elected president in terms of the media and establishment politicians essentially trying to nullify what the voters chose in a rejection of things that have been going on in Washington, D.C. and establishment media overall. All right. Well, we're going to take a short break, and we'll be right back in a couple of minutes. The Gill for Exceptional Children, or GEC, has been providing excellent care to children and adults with developmental disabilities since 1958. It is our mission to help build better lives and brighter futures for the people in our care. We serve nearly 1,000 individuals each day and are proud that 90 cents of every dollar is used for actual services. Please visit www.gecbklyn.org or call 718-833-6633 to learn more. Welcome to the Connors Corner segment of Ask the Lawyer. You know, every once in a while when you watch TV, listen to the news, you say, hey, is common sense completely gone? And and maybe our next guest can shed some light on that. The guest is Dr. God Saad. He's got a book out, The Parasitic Mind, How Infectious Ideas Are Killing Common Sense. Welcome to Connors Corner. Thank you so much for having me. Okay, so... Obviously, we know what your book is about, but what is your book, and what what do you want the reader to get out of it? So first, I want them to understand how you know bad ideas can cause people to behave in maladaptive ways. I want them to know where these bad ideas come from, and regrettably, as a professor, I'm here to tell you that it takes intellectuals to come up with really dumb ideas, so 
all of the idea pathogens that I describe in the book stem from the university ecosystem. But then it's not enough to describe the problem. You have to offer some hope, some vaccines, some solution. And hopefully I've also done that. Okay. Now, where, where are you? You're in Concordia up in uh, Montreal? I am indeed. Is it? I, I think I know the answer, but is it worse in Canada or better? Uh, it's maybe a bit worse in that a lot of the, you know, intellectual, quote, intellectual movements that led to these idea pathogens originally came from Europe, so they might have parasitized Canada first. But uh, at this point, I think the whole, all of the West is being parasitized at an alarming rate. Can you give us an example? You know, the guy out there working nine to five, he comes home. What are you talking about? So I'll give you the granddaddy of an idea pathogen, and then we can, we can discuss other ones. So the, probably the, the, the worst of all idea pathogens is something called postmodernism, which basically argues that there are no objective truths. We are completely shackled by subjective reality, by our personal biases. Now, you might imagine that's a very dangerous idea because science operates on the premise that there are objective truths to be discovered. Now, what we might have thought was true 300 years ago in science might not be true today, so we, we, we alter our understanding of reality as we advance, but we do start off today thinking that there are truths to be uncovered. Well, postmodernism is a form of intellectual terrorism in that it blows up the edifice of reason. So that's one example. Let me give you one other, and then we can discuss other ones. Militant feminism is another such idea pathogen because it rejects the notion that there might be innate biological differences between men and women. Of course, men and women have to be equal under the law, but that doesn't mean that we are indistinguishable creatures. But radical feminism argues exactly that. Everything that a man and a woman are different on must be due to social construction. It can't be due to biology. That's insane, and it's false. All right. Now, you know, you talk about reason. I think in part of your book, you're talking about the uh, a lot of people refuse to believe that Donald Trump was elected president of the United States. Or if they believe that he was elected, they usually argue that every single one of the voters, down to the last one, must be a rabid KKK member who sleeps with their sibling, right? And who is toothless. In other words, <laughs> they create a caricature of a Trump supporter, whereas, of course, there are perfectly rational ways by which perfectly sensible people could have voted for Trump. And I discuss, as someone who studies psychology and decision-making, there's an endless number of decision rules that one can apply that can cause people to vote for Donald Trump. Let me give you one very quick example. There's something called the lexicographic rule, which basically says when you're choosing between two alternatives, you only look at the most important attribute, and you choose the alternative that scores higher on your most important attribute. So, for example, if I'm choosing between Hillary Clinton and Donald Trump, if, uh, you know, uh, authenticity is the most important uh, attribute for me, and if I judge Trump to be more authentic than Hillary Clinton, that's all I will need to choose Trump. In other words, there are all sorts of psychological processes that can lead perfectly reasonable people to choose either Clinton or Trump. And what I, what I really get angry at is to see my sort of highfalutin, ivory tower-dwelling colleagues say, no, 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 everybody who votes for Trump is a Nazi, that's grotesque. Now, let me ask you something, because I know you referenced Brett Kavanaugh. Now, I, I think that was a point where objective truth just got thrown to the side because there was no, you know, there was no examination of the real facts. Can you comment on that? Yeah, so there, to try to explain uh, the, what I call the, the Kavanaugh debacle, uh, let me point to two types of ethical systems. There's something called deontological ethics. That's absolute truth. It is never okay to lie. That would be a deontological statement. A consequentialist statement would be, it is okay to lie if the consequences are you're trying to save, you know, someone's hurt feelings. So if your spouse asks you, do I look overweight in those genes? You might want to lie to protect your marriage, right? And the reality is we, we are all at times consequentialist and at times deontological. But when it comes to the truth, with a capital T, we should always be deontological. 
When it came to the Kavanaugh hearing, what the left said, no, 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 we're not going to be deontological. We're not going to go by first principles, like presumption of innocence, like evidence matters, because the consequences are that we need to get rid of this guy. So if we have to lie and cheat and make up stories, that's okay, because there's a higher goal here, which is to get rid of him. So again, when it comes to matters of capital T truth, you should always be deontological. And social justice, you spend time talking about social justice worries. How are they upsetting, you know, common sense or killing common well, sense? Yeah, sure. Well, what, what basically social justice warriors argue is that the currency that matters is that you don't hurt someone's feelings. So even if you espouse a position that is factually true, that statement would better be served to be suppressed if it hurts someone's feelings. Well, academia, science, the university, is not there to try to minimize your hurt feelings. It is there to maximize your intellectual flourishment, right? So this is why, for example, I don't believe in the notion of what's called forbidden knowledge. Forbidden knowledge are things that you should never tread, because if you studied those things, it might have negative consequences downstream. Don't study sex differences, because that might result in the promulgation of sexist ideas. Well, what do you mean, don't study sex differences? We are a sexually reproducing species. On many attributes, men and women are the same. On other attributes, we're very different. I'm an evolutionary psychologist, so it's my bread and butter to study sex differences. So you're going to tell me now that all sex differences are forbidden because it might hurt someone's feelings? No. Truth supersedes your hurt feelings. Okay, now what... Why why are so many people passive to you know the the killing of common sense? What do you think people should do? How do you get engaged? So I think the problem is that it's it's a what what's called the tragedy of the commons. It's a, it's a it's a problem of collective inaction. Everybody says I'm going to subcontract my voice to some courageous public person who will fight on my behalf, right? So I receive endless emails from professors, from students, from parents of students. I mean, literally thousands of emails saying, thank you so much, Dr. Saad. You, you know, you, you make me feel as though I'm, I'm sane and, uh, and that all is not lost. Oh, but please don't mention my name that I support you. <laughs> well, what is it that you're so afraid to support me? You, you don't support that I defend freedom of speech? You don't support that I defend women's rights in the Middle East? What is it that's causing you to be so afraid? Well, the answer is cowardice, right? There should be an eighth deadly sin added to the existing seven deadly sins, and that is cowardice and apathy. So what we need to do is what I, in Chapter 8 of the Parasitic Mind, I talk about activate your inner honey badger. Right? A honey badger is an is a animal that's the size of a small dog, but it is extraordinarily ferocious if it is annoyed. So you could have a bunch of adult lions approach it, and they will back down in front of this ferocious creature. So you need to be an ideological honey badger. If your principles are well-founded, can be well-articulated, never back down, right? So when someone comes after me on Twitter or anywhere, they better be ready for a fight because I'm going to come after you 10 times harder. So people have to develop that spine and that reflex. They can't subcontract that fight to someone else. And if we do that, we'll win the battle of ideas. If we don't, it's going to be a long, ugly ride. All right. Well, thank you. Thank you very much, Dr. Sad. Thank you for writing the book. The name of the book, again, The Parasitic Mind, How Infectious Ideas Are Killing Common Sense. Thank you for fighting for us. Thank and you so much for having me. And hopefully more people are going to start supporting your ideas. Thank you so much, sir. Good talking to you. Thank you, doctor. Do you have somewhere to sleep? Did you eat today? Are you making ends meet? For thousands of New Yorkers, the answer is no. For children and youth, adults, seniors, people struggling with addiction or mental illness, and for the isolated, Catholic Charities of Brooklyn and Queens is there. With 160 programs and more than 4,500 units of affordable housing, Catholic Charities is one of the largest multi-service charitable organizations in the nation. We help change lives and build communities. If you or someone you know needs assistance, call 718-722-6001 or visit CCB. Welcome to the Connors Corner segment of Ask the Lawyer. Our next guest, literally, I know we say it a lot, doesn't need any introduction, best-selling author, Fox News Hurt host, Judge Janine Pirro. Welcome to Connors Corner. Well, it's nice to be with you. Thanks for having me on. 
Okay, now you got a book out. Don't lie to me. What's it about? Yes, I well. Don't Lie to Me is a third in a trilogy of books that I've written since Donald Trump has become president. The first was Liars, Leakers, and Liberals about the Russia collusion delusion. The second was Radicals, Resistance, and Revenge, which is the left's refusal uh, to accept the fact that Donald Trump won the election fair and square, and they had a hissy fit because Hillary Clinton, yeah, they couldn't drag her across the finish line. And I got so frustrated, I was going to continue with the alliteration, but you know, as I watched everything unfold, I just said, stop trying, stop lying to me and, uh, you know, stop trying to steal our freedom. So don't lie to me and stop trying to steal our freedom is the third book where I outline how they're lying to us in a major way in order to prevent us from, you know, doing what we have a right to do. And everyone understands in the United States, you have freedom of speech, right? But now, all of a sudden, if you say something that's politically incorrect, you can lose your job. You can lose your job if someone is triggered by your very presence. And now, even though freedom of religion is in the Constitution, the First Amendment, people are not being able to practice their religion as the Constitution requires and permits. Because during this lockdown, what they're saying is, you know, you can buy weed and you can buy booze and, uh, and you can buy whatever you want. And if you want to protest in thousands, uh, have at it. Don't you dare go to church. And in the end, what is happening is people are being restricted from practicing religion, from saying what they will. And now Kamala Harris is saying, well, we can confiscate your guns. The Constitution doesn't prevent us from doing that. This is all craziness. It's socialism. It's a move to the left. And Joe Biden is nothing more than a Trojan horse for that effort. Now, I think you bring up a good point about freedom of religion. You know, I remember a few years back, people were saying with well, the Obama administration, they're, they're not interfering with our ability to worship, but they are infringing on our freedom of religion because we have to think a certain way. But now it's advanced to the point where they can tell you, hey, you can't go to church if you, if you don't follow the rules. Well, not only that. I mean, you can't go to church. At the same time, thousands of people in the same area can protest because allegedly, you know, social justice is more important than the Constitution and the freedom of religion. I mean, this is nonsense. Even the United States Supreme Court in a Nevada case said, hey, you want to go to a, move, a multiplex movie theater, 18 theaters? No problem. Go right ahead. You want to go into a casino and gamble your tail off? No problem. Go ahead. But don't you dare go into a chapel in numbers of more than 49. Now, that's the United States Supreme Court. Look, there is only one person who is stopping this, this effort at socialism and at this depression effort where they want to keep us in our basements, open the borders, defund the police, and then take away our guns. I mean, this cannot stand in the United States of America. This is not what our Constitution guarantees us. And then what you have are Obama-appointed judge who are making, judges who are making these decisions that then apply across the country, they say, uh, which is why it's so important that Amy Coney Barrett get her uh, a confirmation to the United States Supreme Court. And, you know, the fact that Donald Trump has had three justices in the first term is an amazing thing. I mean, it's just it's unheard of. And it's almost like it, it's from another place, to be honest with you. And what we've got to do is respect the fact that he's fighting for us. We've got to fight for him. Now, let me ask you something. Your title, Don't Lie to Me. I think a lot of us out here, we're extremely frustrated because we're hearing lies every day of the week, depending on who we're listening to and where. Are there going to be any consequences to, to everybody lying to us about this election? There are no consequences anymore. You know, journalism is no longer about the news. It's about taking sides. And we've seen it over and over again. The mainstream media couldn't stop talking about Russia collusion for three years. The nation was divided. Friends didn't talk to each other. And everything was leaked information, anonymous sources, 
you know, mainstream media, oh, and impeachment, indictment, it's all coming up soon. And, and the nothing, even Mueller could find nothing. And then now we've got the New York Post, one of the oldest newspapers in the country, that is subject to the, the libel laws and defamation that publishes an expose on Joe Biden as, as, as vice president and how he allowed the Biden family to be able to go into Europe and basically with a vacuum cleaner suck up as many millions as they could get. And I mean, anybody, you should start Googling Joe Biden's family's homes and try to figure out Joe Biden didn't start with much. He'll tell you that himself. So what did he do in 47 years to have all of these mansions? And Joe Biden is also an individual who lied to the American people. He said he knew nothing about Hunter Biden's business. He didn't even know he was on the board of Burisma, an energy company that was corrupt in Ukraine, when Joe Biden went to Ukraine and told the president, if you don't fire the guy investigating uh, the company Burisma, the one that his son was on, I'm not going to give you a billion dollars of American money. That's a vice president leveraging American taxpayer dollars to make sure his son keeps, you know, vacuuming in millions of dollars. And he lied to us. He lied and said he knew nothing about Burisma and his son's business. And now we see photographs of him with the executives from Burisma. And now we see him with execs from uh, Kazakhstan. And he knew nothing about China. I mean, he's flying to China on Air Force Two with his son. And he doesn't know anything about his son, who ends up bringing back a promise of $1.5 billion from the Chinese communist uh, government. I mean, are you kidding me? We can't take these lies anymore. Look, we expect a certain amount of lying from politicians. It's in their DNA. But this is criminal. And Americans need to understand it. it's not about us. It's about them making sure that they have the power and the money. We're nothing more than pawns in the game where they're fighting for uh, power and, and, and money at our risk. Let me ask you something, Mike. You're, you're obviously you're fighting the good fight right now. But what can somebody learn by reading your book? Why why should the public read your book, and what can they do about it? Well, I, they they should read my book, and I'll tell you why. I was on law review, right? You're both lawyers. I mean, I know how to footnote. There are so many footnotes in that book; they don't get in your way. No, don't worry, because I actually hate footnotes. But if you get in an argument with someone, because everybody's like, "No, you're wrong. You're wrong. You're, I have all the evidence." And the facts behind the allegations and the opinions that I make uh, and the statements that I make in the book, number one. And number two, people need to understand about this pandemic. This locking us all down, taking away our ability to make a living and, and telling people, if you go to business, we'll arrest you or we'll take away your license. Uh, that stemmed from a, a, uh, a, 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 the Neil Ferguson, who had a model that was absolutely incorrect. And Neil Ferguson was a guy over in the UK, and I talk about all this in the book. And he did the mad cow disease thing, and he had people slaughtering their herds, their cows, their sheep. And he was wrong. They didn't need to. And he said, oh, oh sorry, never mind. And we listen to this guy. You know, infectious diseases listen to this guy. And let me ask you something. You know, if, if, if Dr. Fauci... And all these people in CDC, if they're so great that four or five presidents keep them on, what the heck were they doing? Why didn't we have protective equipment? Why didn't we have masks? This guy Fauci was in charge of infectious diseases. Why wasn't he prepared at least not only, you know, at least to have the ability in any infectious disease situation to protect Americans? Look. You got to read my book. You'll know what's going on. You'll know how they how they conned us, and you'll also see about the protests. It didn't all turn on a dime with the death of George Floyd. All of this, you know, this, these peaceful protests—they're not peaceful at all. We all agreed what happened to George Floyd should never ever happen in any country in the world again. And America came together. But Black Lives Matter, the movement, and I explained this in Don't Lie to Me. They made a decision to make sure that America broke apart as they tore down cities and neighborhoods and businesses 
So people who had been shuttered in because of the pandemic would never have a chance to reopen their businesses. These people hate capitalism. It's a bigger game. And in the book, don't lie to me. I explain it to you. Let's hope enough people wake up on election day. But Judge Jeanine Pirro, don't lie to me and stop trying to steal our freedom. Thank you for the fight and the fight. Thank you so much for having me on, guys. Take care. Bye. I'm in a good place in my life. And I'm energized by new adventures. I've got friends to laugh with. And a good relationship. But even though I'm kind of comfortable, I sometimes wonder, is there something more? Could God in church be what you're looking for? Come and see at catholicscomehome.com. Well, I don't know. Do we like our mayor, Mike? Mayor de Blasio? Why in the world would you come up with that question? What is there to like about Mayor de Blasio? We never talk about him because okay. you just say, I can't talk about him. I can't, I can't. talk about I mean, him. It's too depressing. Now I understand what, he's going to try to block the Met sale? That's I mean, what... <laughs> we got a guy who's willing to come in and spend billions of dollars to make the Mets great again. And we got our mayor now who says because one guy he once employed did some insider <laughs> training, he's going to try to block his sale because he wants people of color to own the baseball team in New York. That's the rumor. I hope to goodness that is not what he's going to do to try to. Now, can he stop it? Yeah, because apparently the lease with Shea, St- uh, Shea Stadium shows you how old I am with City <laughs> Field. Um the the lease with City Field needs city approval, and they can oh, apparently they goodness. they have approval on the assignment of the lease of change of ownership with the Mets. So, well, what if what if they don't get what if the Mets can't find anybody that he likes to buy them? I don't know. We could be stuck with the with with the present ownership for a long time. So I mean, you know, you talk about and and he would have no compunctions about that because he's a communist. And, I know. Yeah, you, you know, it reminds me of a couple of clients that uh, I, I don't know. Maybe I shouldn't mention the name, so I won't. But there were a couple of guys from China that went to our office a few weeks ago and says, you know, in China, um, we have communists who are mayors, but at least they're competent mayors. <laughs> in New York, you have oh, a communist mayor, oh. but he's not even close to being competent. Oh, gosh. Now, is he from Brooklyn? Is this guy from Brooklyn? No, he's from Queens. Okay, thank goodness. Brooklyn didn't do it. No. He may have lived in Park Slope for a while. Oh, you're talking about de Blasio. Yeah, oh, no. he lived in Brooklyn, yeah. But was he born in Brooklyn? I don't is know if he, he was from born in Brooklyn. Brooklyn? Okay. And, you know, like Joe Piscopo says, he's not Italian, but he, he has an Italian name, Joe. I'm sorry. You know, you he got... He doesn't act Italian. No, he doesn't no, act that's Italian. True. That's, that's, that's true. very so, true. He got warped. Somewhere along the way, he got warped. Listen, now, everybody knows, I don't, I don't know if you know or not, maybe you can tell by my accent, but I'm not from Brooklyn. But I have lived in Brooklyn since 1977, and I love Brooklyn, and I love New York City. Now, I came up here from Texas, and I have a good friend, Deb Ford, who several years ago moved to New York, and she was living in Manhattan, and she was loving it, and she just thought she was going to stay up here. But de Blasio did her in. She has moved back to Texas. My friend is now back in Texas, and she's not she's not going to come back up here. And she is not the only one. Oh, my goodness. I don't know what's going to happen to Broadway. Well, you know, we were talking about it. Bay Ridge. Now, that's where we live in Brooklyn, Bay Ridge. And we have a shopping area on 86th Street that is an enormously busy area and i have heard i have been told now i don't know if it's true but i have been told that its per capita footprint or whatever is second in brooklyn only to the fulton street area in downtown brooklyn that means that there is a lot of commerce on 86th street oh that's otto he's protecting us so 
our com our commercial area, the big stores there, Century Twenty One, Models, they're gone. They have filed for bankruptcy. I, they're closing down. Century Twenty One is huge. So now, are the other are the other stores going to survive? I know we've got a Victoria's Secret. There's some others, but it, when the biggest ones go under, I mean. We've got that, and then our favorite, one of our favorite eateries, New Corner. Your father, Mike, went there when he was young. New Corner's gone. We got the notice there. I mean, I'm, I'm hoping something new will happen in Bay Ridge, but Bay Ridge will never recover from this man, this de Blasio. Yeah, and I mean, the, you know, and the thing right now, the fact that he's you know, restricting access to churches and synagogues, you know, like, okay, what are we going to do now? We're going to build up walls around certain area codes and fence the people in, wall them in, keep police from letting them come out. What are we going back to? 1930s Germany, 1940s Poland? I think people forgot what happened to Germany. You had a, you had a budding democracy that was destroyed by these awful communists marching through the streets telling them they wanted to make everything great and then the national nazis came in and they said no we'll make it great so and there the democracy was destroyed by these people oh my goodness we got to protect the middle class that's what we're all about you know here's one of the things uh you know about a year or so ago we were talking to the Little Sisters of the Poor in their lawsuit, um, and even before that when they were suing the Obama administration. And we were talking about, you know, that there, we had an infringement on our ability to uh, believe as we felt we can believe religiously. There was restriction. And at the time, we're saying, well, we're not, they're not restricting our freedom to worship. They're restricting our beliefs. In other words, you weren't allowed to not believe in abortion. You had to pay for abortions or whatever through your medical plan, which is what the Little Sisters of the Poor objected to. Now, right now, they're going further than that. They ain't saying, unless you follow our guidelines, you can't go to church. So if you live in a certain neighborhood and you want to go to church, you can't do that. And I don't know, whatever happened to the to, to the freedom of religion, we're just, we're giving it away. We're, we're, we're surrendering our rights who says that you can't go to a synagogue? Who says you can't go to a church? It's your choice. I mean, you can go you can go shopping, you can go to different stores, but you can't go to church, you can't go to a synagogue. Something's wrong, and, and you know, it's, it's very depressing to me. But listen, if you have any questions about estate planning and elder law, <laughs> give here. us a call at Connors & Sullivan. We'll be right here next week. Same station, same time. Thank you for listening to Ask the Lawyer. Thanks for joining us. Bye-bye.